Today, we're talking about the tender commandments. Why do I call them the tender commandments? Because there are definitely some don'ts. Um, there are definitely things God told us not to do, but they come from a heart of love. Deuteronomy 4.40. Obey these commands and decrees that I'm giving you, the Lord says, so that it may go well with you and with your family. So when God lays something out in this love letter called the Bible, when he puts boundaries out there, it's just to keep us from getting hurt. Not to tell us what to do. He's the creator. He's the maker. He's the one who gives us breath and the one who knows how it works for us because he set up this thing called life and earth and our existence. And so as we read this, we find how to find the most blessed life. A Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five and six-year-olds, and after explaining the commandment to honor your father and mother, she said, is there a commandment that you kids can remember that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? And one of the little guys said, thou shalt not kill? Um, well, that's actually in there. And today, we're going to talk about two of the commands that are part of the ten. They're both commands that tell us not to take. And I've entitled this sermon, Not Yours to Take. And here are the commandments. The sixth one that says you shall not murder. You can't take life that way. And then the eighth commandment, which says you shall not steal. There are things that God doesn't want us to do because it hurts others and it hurts us. Let's pray. Father, I ask for you to move among us. Lord, you've written these things down so that we might find blessing in our lives, so that we might find boundaries, so that we can know how you establish the rules for life. And so, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would, uh, would be here in a mighty way and touch hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The first command is this, in Exodus, uh, that I want to talk about is this, commandment six, Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. Now, some of you have known that commandment, and if you were going to say it, you'd say, thou shall not kill. Well, uh, that's actually a correct translation of the word, it's kill, but there's a verb that's in the Hebrew that explains the word, and it means this, that, that you should not do it with intent of malice or hatred or, or premeditative. So the best interpretation, when you take the verb into account, uh, is this, thou shalt not murder, because it has to do with hatred, malice, and premeditation. Killing is not prohibited here by God. Now that may sound harsh. And listen, I know we live in a world uh, where there's all kinds of political stuff going on. I don't get political from the pulpit, but I made a commitment to the Lord a long time ago that I would share without fear or favor the things that are in his word. So to me, the reason I'm going to talk about this today is because we're on this command, thou shalt not kill. What's it mean? What does the Lord mean? Well, we look at it. Uh, in, in all of the Bible to find the balance of what he's saying. And we can see if you look at it uh, and you look at it closely that he's not saying that killing is prohibited. He's saying that murder is prohibited. Here's how we know it. <clears throat> they had capital punishment that was instituted by God in the very same day, uh, the very same era. Moses heard from God uh, some things in the scriptures that you can see here. There was a judicial infliction of capital punishment right here in Exodus 21, 14. The commandments were written in the same era, so we can see the difference between killing and murder. It says this, however, if someone deliberately kills another person, then the slayer must be dragged even from my altar and be put to death. Well, that was the same time that the commandments were given, so you can see that there's some difference. There must be, or God would not have instituted both of those things in that time. 
And then in Deuteronomy 19.13, do not feel sorry for that murderer. This is God speaking again. Purge from Israel the guilt of, the, uh, of murdering innocent people. Then all will go well with you. These are things that are in the Bible along with this commandment, thou shalt not kill, or more accurately, thou shalt not murder. The problem is solved when you, and resolved when you, when you see the difference between killing and murder and the difference between premeditation, ha hatred, intention of evil, and malice in someone's heart. That's what this is talking about. I thought it would be interesting to look at what the Bible says uh, concerning war, because there are some people who think there should never be any war. Listen, war is horrible, and anybody who wants war is crazy. I don't believe that God wants us to war. But war is not forbidden in the Bible, <clears throat> according to even this command. In the Bible... It is seen as noble and courageous to repel by force of arms an assault on a nation's integrity. Meaning if an evil nation rose up to attack an innocent nation, they were allowed to defend themselves, and that would be war, rather than allow themselves to be uh, slaughtered and captured. The nation of Israel had a huge military force in these days. And Moses himself prayed that God... Uh, would deliver the people of Israel from the hand of the enemy and make them victorious in war. And actually, God did that. Many times in the Bible, they were being attacked. And God told the children of Israel to go, just from his command without anybody else leading them, to go to war and that he would give them victory. So, the, this is the thought. The Bible does not forbid killing in war when the purpose is a necessary defense against an evil aggressor. I want to say that again. The Bible does not forbid killing in war when the purpose is a necessary defense against an evil aggressor. And you may say, okay, uh, that's in the Bible. In the Old Testament, what, what about the New Testament? Well, there is the balance to balance this out in the New Testament that speaks to these doctrines that I'm speaking of right now. In Romans 13, thir 3, it says this, for rulers, and it's talking about government officials, presidents, kings, of, of nations, hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. So here we see that even government officials are allowed to defend, protect, and, 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 and even uh, use the sword, as it says here, for the purpose of, 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 uh, of the greater good. Now, again, God forbid that we ever have to go to war. It's horrible. But, but uh, as we look at what politics is telling us, and as we look at uh, what the media and, and music and all these things, we're getting too much what we believe from outside forces when we need to look at the balance of what the Word of God says. So I bring it to you directly so you can see the balance here. And, and, and you say, well, what about Jesus? Did you know that Jesus commended an army officer, someone who went to war, someone who, who might have to kill others? Jesus commended him in Matthew 8.10 and he said this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. It makes me saddened today when I see 
our military soldiers, those who came back from Vietnam, those who are serving now in Afghanistan. It makes me sad that people would look down upon them when they've given their lives to protect us and to bless us. And God saw a soldier and he commended him for his great faith in believing in in Jesus Christ. He would not have commended a soldier if he was living in sin. And so these things are allowed for the purpose of protecting people and nations. The, the, The key thought here that I want to swing around to now as I try to bring balance with that is, is the protection, the defense is all about honoring life. It's not about seeing who can kill the most and going to war. It's about keeping war from happening, honoring life, and, and, and defending the weak and the innocent. So you may defend yourself. A nation may defend itself against evil that tries to kill. But still we must remember that God wants life to be seen as precious something that should be honored and protected. So when an evil aggressor comes and they have no regard for this, uh, God will not let them just have a heyday and, and, and dominate. And so he says, life is so precious it must be protected and protection can come forth. Because here's the thought now. The real thought of this is life, the, the command now. We'll get around to the real core of it. What he's trying to show us is life is a gift from God. God is the giver <clears throat> of all life. And we're to see life as his to give and his to take away. Life is precious, and I think one of the greatest reasons is we're made in the image of God. Think of that. Genesis 1, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Both male and female bear the image of God in some way. We're his creation. So when we take another life, we're taking the very image of God impressed upon human, a human soul. Acts 17, 25 says, and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. It's talking about God. It says he himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. God is the one who gives you the breath that you're breathing right now. We can't have it without his gift to us. And since God did it, it needs to be uh, God's, God's way that, that life would end, not us taking that thing into our own hands. I can't, I can't come to a passage like this in a culture like ours in America and not talk about abortion, right? You don't hear me talk about this a lot, but it'd be very appropriate on a day where the Bible is talking about um, life, this command. Um, it was in 1994 that the featured speaker at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. was a small, fragile woman with no political credentials. Yet she spoke confidently um, at the podium, surrounded by President Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. Um, with the steady voice of certainty, Mother Teresa said these words. I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. It is direct war against the child a direct killing of an innocent child. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, but to use any violence to get what they want. By abortion, the mother does not learn to love, but kills her own child to solve her problems. And by abortion, the father is told that he does not have to take any responsibility at all for the child he has brought into the world. The father is likely to put other women into the same trouble, so abortion just leads to more abortion, and as a nation that has over a million abortions a year, 
Uh, I believe it's the greatest tragedy of our nation, and we've never seen one, either, even the Civil War and, and the injustices against mankind in our nation. I don't think we've ever seen a greater sin than the sin of abortion that has plagued our nation. Take the taking of a life of an innocent victim. Now, I, I, I want to be sensitive, and I want you to know that the grace of God covers all of our sins, so I want to talk with compassion about this. We live in a culture where people were told it's not bad. And uh, it's really about the woman, but, but the truth is we were forgetting someone else. Or, or it's really about that couple and their, their future. So I have a degree of compassion because our nation has led us astray. Uh, so much compassion that I want to bring something to your attention. So many people have, have gone through this, have done this, and carry tremendous guilt. And I want you to know that Jesus forgives us of our sin. Jesus wants to heal our hearts for the mistakes that we've made. There's a great ministry here and in other cities in our nation called Pregnancy Resource Center. And they have this wonderful program called HEART, Healing Encouragement for Abortion-Related Trauma. You can see it on your screen. And by the way, if you can't get this down, you can get it on the podcast later. This information will be there for you. But this ministry exists to provide safe, confidential environments for individuals who've had one or more abortions and to experience hope and healing through a Bible study support group. For more information, you can go to www.portlandheart.org. Uh, you know, I've been forgiven of sin, and, and, I, I, and, 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 and I know that God forgives all sin, and, and I don't want people, if this has been resolved in your heart, and you've been healed, and you've made this mistake, there's no need uh, for condemnation today, because all of our sin is under the blood of Jesus. But if you're carrying a heavy heart, and it's been difficult for you to overcome, think about this ministry for you, to bless your heart, to heal your heart, and let the grace of God cover you or perhaps a friend that you know. You say, well, how do we really know that abortion is wrong? Well, it says in Psalm 139, verse 14, I praise you because you made me in an amazing, wonderful way. What you have done is wonderful. I know this very well. You saw my bones being formed as I took shape in my mother's body. When I was put together there, you saw my body as it was being formed. So we know this. The work that is happening in a womb as a baby is coming forth, is the work of God. It's miraculous, and it's wonderful, and it's been done by his hand, and he's involved with that process even in the womb. Life is precious to him. There's a place in the Bible where Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, and I know he was talking about children that were in the area that they were trying to withhold from him, but I think of that scripture when I think of abortion sometimes. Let you know, don't, don't make a bigger mistake. And you say, well, why would you talk about this? Because there, there are going to be some people that are faced with this decision as we go. I, I want to say that one of, the, one of the key reasons for abortion may have been, God forbid, but it may have been that churches weren't enough, there was not enough grace to offer people who'd made a mistake. And because they didn't want to be embarrassed in their church, they'd take the life of a baby. Church, may that never be among us. We love people here. God loves people, and we want to be people that know. You say you're trying to encourage it. No, I'm not trying to encourage it, but, but look, this is life, right? When people make mistakes, we love them. We help them. We serve them. We bless them. That's God's way. Well, God, God wants us to know that his grace is there for us for, for forgiveness, but he wants us to know that this is wrong as well. Uh, one thing I want to talk about before I move on to the next point here is 
Anger and hatred are precursors to murder. So now we're moving to anger. As we look at this, thou shalt not murder, you need to know that closely associated, close by are verses when it talks about killing in the Bible, in the New Testament and the Old, verses that have to do with anger and hatred. And so if we nurture anger in our hearts, if we allow that to move to hatred, then we become closer and closer to those that would do something that we never thought we'd be capable of, and that's take another life. And so God wants to warn us to be careful with our anger. As a matter of fact, check this out, you can't hate anybody if you're a believer. You can, but you're not supposed to. We don't hate anymore. We love, right? There, there should be no hatred in the heart of a follower of Jesus Christ for any person. <clears throat> and that's, that's scriptural. In the Old Testament, David said, I hated with a perfect hatred. In the New Testament, Jesus fixed that which wasn't quite uh, right, and he took it to another level. And look at these scriptures. Matthew 5, 21. These are the words of Jesus Christ. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you see he's going not only to someone who, who might have committed murder, but he's saying, I want your heart to be right. I don't want you to just do right. I want your heart to be right, and you'll never move there. He said, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. What Jesus was doing was trying to reel in this thought that anger was somehow good and that hatred could somehow be expressed. No, that's not what Jesus came to do. That's not what God wants to do in believers. You can see it a little more in Matthew 5, 43. Again, the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There it is. From the very heart of God and the mouth of Jesus Christ, we cannot hate. If there's hatred in our hearts for someone, we need to take that to Jesus and let him heal us because the enemy can take advantage of that. So God doesn't just care that you act right. He cares that you are right on the inside. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, those are the things we want to, to grow and to nurture in our hearts. So be careful not to hang around with angry and hateful people. You can be influenced by people who are angry to become an angry person. Proverbs 1.10 says this, My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone. Just for fun, let's ambush the innocent. My child, don't go along with them. Stay far away from their paths. Can't tell you how many times it happens in our society when a pretty good kid gets in the wrong crowd. And that crowd becomes violent. And then they find themselves in a situation where, where, where the worst took place with robbery or murder. And then they won't rat on their friends and then they're tied in and then they become one of them and they go to jail. They end up with all kinds of problems in their life. You say, that doesn't happen. It happens. It happens in good families where kids are led astray by, by their friends. And this says... Just for fun, ambush the innocent. Did, has anybody been noticing this new game they're talking about? We're seeing the films uh, uh, of it on television, the, the, the knockout game. Have you, have you seen that on uh, TV just coming out this week? It happened at Clackamas Community College just yesterday where someone is innocently attacked, usually by some younger people in a crowd walking by, and one of them will just, uh, w you know, uh, stealth in a stealthy way will try to hit 
an innocent person walking by and knock them out. And they're showing pictures of these guys uh, being knocked out, uh, video of these kids knocking out adults. They're, they're falling like trees to hit their, their heads on the pavement. And it's happening all over our cities in America right now. I'm going to tell you, if you know people like that, do not hang out with them. Uh, because, uh, you know, they, you think that's, they, they think it's funny. Well, it's violent. I don't know if that comes from all the stuff we watch on TV or the violence in video games. Uh, but, but to think that that's somehow okay to just hurt innocent people and wound them in that way, it's not right. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you get in trouble. Be careful who you hang out with. Bad company will corrupt good character. Anger affects everyone, not just you, but those around you. And so uh, understand that the, that the Bible says uh, that we should not be around people who, who live their lives in this way and feel that it's okay. In his autobiography, Billy Martin, who is a coach uh, of the Yankees and, and the Oakland A's, had a good friend named Mickey Mantle. Anybody remember that name uh, in the Hall of Fame? A player. And Mickey had a friend who would let them hunt on his ranch. So Billy Martin tells this story in his autobiography. He says, when they reached the ranch, Mickey Mantle said, Billy, you wait in the car here while I check out uh, whether we can hunt or not with my friend. And Mantle's uh, uh, friend quickly gave him permission when he went in the house to hunt. But Mickey thought, I'll just play uh, a joke on Billy. So he came out and he said, I'm so mad at that guy. He won't let us hunt. I'm so mad I'm going to kill one of his mules. And he drove his car fast to the barn, jumped out with his gun, and Billy Martin was saying, no, no, no. And he walked in the barn and boom, he, he, this guy, I forgot to tell this part of the story. This guy, <laughs> I just told you. <laughs> Public speaking is much harder than it looks. I just want you to know that. While he was in there, the guy said, I have an old blind mule in the barn. That, that I just can't bring myself to kill because it's been in the family for so long. Would you mind killing that thing for me? That changes the whole story, doesn't it? So, <laughs> so Billy comes back. Now he's going to, he, or, or Mickey's going to play a joke on Bill. And he says, I'm so mad at that guy, he won't let us hunt. When he'd actually given permission, he said, I'm going to kill his mule. And Billy said, no, no, don't do it. And he went into the barn with his pistol and he pulled it out and he shot and killed this mule. And right after he did, he heard two more shots. And he looked around and Billy wasn't there. And he walked out and Billy had a rifle in his hand. He said, Billy, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to get that son of a gun. I just killed two of his cows too. <laughs> well, that kind of stuff can grow in a heart and you can be easily influenced. Here's what it says in Proverbs. Check this out. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man or you may learn his ways. That's worth saying twice. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Do not make friends with the hot-tempered man or you may learn his ways. So these things of anger that can lead to hatred, are, 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 it's the progression to killing and murder. So, so we need to guard our hearts way back here on this anger thing so that, so that we don't find ourselves in that place or even close to it in our lives. Now, let's get to the second thing you can't take. You can't take life because that's God's to take. And then you, you can't take someone else's possessions. You, you must not steal, it says in Exodus 20.15. So we know that, uh, that there are ways of stealing. Um, the, the thief is obvious, right? This is someone who takes something by stealth, uh, a burglar, a person who slips into your home while you're not aware, and, and they, they steal something from you. And then there's the robber who takes by 
illegal force, usually a gun or some other weapon. But there are other ways too. Those are the ones we think of when we think of steel. But we need to be concerned at even a, a, a closer level than that. How about the one who uses something without permission? Taking a company asset. Uh, using and abusing another's possessions. Um, that pen at work that you like, so you collect 10 of them for your home. You know what I mean? When the company's paying for them, that's stealing. You, you, that's theirs. It's to be used for work. You say, that's a small thing. Well, <laughs> this is how these things work. If you do a little bit of this, then you'll do more of it down the line. Using something without permission. If you're, if you're house-sitting and you drive a car that you're not supposed to drive and it hasn't been uh, previously uh, allowed, then you're, you're using someone else's possession, and in a sense, that's stealing. There's gas. There's not permission. There's a problem that's an integrity issue. And then how about this, the deceiver? These are cheaters. They're, they're the ones um, in business that might charge for work that's not really being done. That can be uh, at any level of business. Scam artists adding to their expenses, false advertising, false claims, exaggeration, promises that are made that really aren't even, they're not planning on keeping. They're just trying to get your business and then they don't deliver fully the product they said that is stealing. You're stealing from another person when you tell them, I'll give you something and you don't completely give them, give it to them. And services. Here's what it says in Proverbs 20, 23. The Lord hates dishonest scales and dishonest weights. When it's weighted to take advantage of people, the Bible says that God hates that. And then fifthly, the one who works less or purposely delivers less than they agreed to. If you agree to work full-time, and they call full-time 45 hours a week minimum, if you don't do that and you're on a regular basis cutting your hours and not giving what you said you would give, that is stealing. There's a verbal agreement. There's a contract in place. The people of God are those that go the extra mile. We're those that understand. Listen, nobody hires you just so you can have a job and make some money. They just don't. That's not the way it works. They hire you to be productive, to make the company money so the money can, can be given to employees, but they want to have a profit. That's the way business works. So if you say, I will do something, and you're not delivering the work that you say, and you did it on purpose, that's cheating. That's stealing from the company, and, and you say, man, you're talking about some real, uh, you know, you're, you're just being real careful here and minute, and listen, we need to be people of integrity to the max. We need to make sure that we're givers and not takers, because people are watching to see what this Jesus is like, and he lives in us, and we're the testimony, and God wants to bless our lives. Psalm 15, 1 says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? something of the blessing of God that comes to us when we live his way. And it says this, he whose walk is blameless. He, and, and the one that does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, who has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. And then verse four, this is an important one to me, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. We keep our word, even if we said something that we said we'd do something, even if we're sorry we said it, we keep our word. And we do it. So 
when the company boss says, you said 45 and calls us to accountability, we say you're right and we step up. I read about a young man who went to look for a job at a place where they really weren't uh, looking to hire someone. And the manager said, I'm sorry, I can't hire you um, because there just isn't enough work to keep you busy. And the young person said, oh, you'd be surprised how little it takes. We don't want to be that guy or that lady, right? We, we want to stay busy and, and help the company be productive and be a good witness for Jesus Christ. Stealing damages relationships between man and man, but it also damages relationships between man and God, between the person who steals and God and the person you steal from. We may keep them, they may say that's a believer and they're taking like that. Well, I don't want anything to do with that God. Well, then now, now we're hurting their chance to come to Jesus Christ so we are not those who steal or take advantage. We keep our word. We do what we say. We work hard. We fulfill the commitments that we make. Two things to remember about stealing. It never works out in the long run. It just, it just doesn't if we steal. You might get away with it for a moment, but eventually uh, it'll be seen. Uh, it'll be embarrassing. And it'll be a terrible witness. It never works out to steal. True story, hard to believe, but true. A thief decided to steal some gas from Dennis Quigley's motorhome in Seattle. So the way that they would have to do it is to siphon gas. So you put a hose in a tank, and you create suction, and you put it in, you know, the tube into the can, and you, then the, the gas will come out and you can steal gas. I, this happened to us in California a couple times when I was a youngster. Someone just stole our gas by siphoning it out. Well, a young man in Seattle was going to siphon gas out of a motorhome and steal it. But Dennis Quigley was inside the motorhome. He heard the noises. He went out and investigated. And what he found was a thief curled up on the ground, violently vomiting. You might have guessed what happened. <laughs> Intending to suck up the contents of the gas tank, the thief had put his hose into the wrong hole and sucked up the contents of the sewage tank instead. True story. The thief, a boy, was 14, and they decided not to prosecute him because Dennis and the police agreed that the young man had suffered enough. It just doesn't work out when we steal. Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sins will find you out. And then secondly, it hurts others greatly and you more. It hurts other, others greatly and us more. Now you heard me talk last week about the Snickers story, but I'm just going to give a little update because I actually have a second Snickers story that reveals the wickedness of my heart as a child that I'm going to share with you today. Last week I talked about... Um, my mother giving us all Snickers bars and how much I love that. And she saved one for dad. She put us down for a nap. I puffed it up on the refrigerator after I got up and stole it. We, uh, she said, don't leave it for dad, but I snuck. And then she came in, woke us up from our nap. I'm doing this real quick here. And she said, tell me who ate the Snickers or I'm going to spank all of you. And I, I just hesitated. And she started spanking my brother. And I thought, okay, uh, then I, I'm not telling now because he'll beat me up too. And and when I was 27 years old, all four kids got spanked because I stole the Snickers and didn't tell. When I was 27, I revealed to them who it was who stole the Snickers bar. Great bitterness was in our family. But that's not the only Snickers, <clears throat> that's not the only Snickers story. 
Uh, I think it was a year or so before that, as a six-year-old, I went into a store without money and with my brother, and I was running the aisle, the candy aisle, and checking it out. And man, I loved candy, obviously too much. Uh, and, and there was a Snickers bars there, and there were these other things, you know, those little straw things with powder and all those cool things that they had in, in those days. And so I thought, I'm just, I don't have any money. I'm just going to take, I'm just going to take some candy. And I looked around like this, and I saw this tall store owner with his head like this on the other side looking at me. And when I looked, he ducked. And somehow I didn't see that as a warning that, you know, you could get caught. <laughs> so I thought, oh, that's weird. There's a guy there, you know. Uh, I'm six, all right? I, I, I'm not good at this. I'm, I'm, I'm a rookie at stealing. And so I put a Snickers in my pocket, and I put candy in my pockets, and I started walking out, you know, and he grabbed me by the neck, and he pulled me back. He said, young man, you stole candy. I said, no, I didn't do it. I lied to him. He said, you did do it. I can see it in your pockets. I go, okay, I did it, and I pull it out, and he called my mom. My mom comes down to the store. I see them talking back and forth, and she takes me outside, and she kneels down. She said, son, you can't do this. This is going to hurt you in life. I brought some money from your piggy bank. You're going to pay that man, and you're going to go back and tell him you're sorry and ask him to forgive you. Well, that's painful. That's a good thing to do if you have kids, because that's the painful part, to go back to someone you violate. So I went back in. I said, sir, I stole the candy. I'm sorry. Here's the money. It was a quarter for a Snickers in those days. And, and, and um, I said, will you forgive me? And he said, son, I will forgive you, but I want to tell you something. You can't do that anymore in your life because that will hurt you. And I want to I hear you say you're not going to steal anymore. I said, yes, sir. So I said it. Now, God has forgiven me for the wickedness of, of, of my coveting for Snickers bars. So much so, <clears throat> you know, after 26 years of hiding it and holding that in my heart from my family about stealing and all those things, I'm going to be set free today. So I have some Snickers bars right here that I have. <clears throat> I have not had one. I'm not coveting them. But you know what it says in, John, in, 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 the, in the scriptures, John 1, 9, if we confess with our sins, or if we confess with our mouth our sins, and ask God to forgive us, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've asked God to forgive me, he's cleansed me, but I want you to be honest now. I want to see the hands of people that once stole candy when you were a kid, and you went back and said you're sorry. And if you do, I'm going to give you a Snickers bar, all right? Raise your hands. I don't have enough to go around here. I see one right way there in the back. Hopefully I won't knock anybody out. Oh, I slipped. <laughs> Who put water right there? Did he get it? All right. That was a trick. There's, there's a whole thing of water down here. Um, okay, right there. Where, is Stephanie Campbell here? I know she stole candy. Okay. She's not here. I know she did because her dad said it in a, in a service. Okay, here we go. There's a bunch of people. That whole family has their hand up. There's a stealing candy family back there, okay? There it is. Someone here? Anybody else? Okay, right there. I want a kid. Give me a young person. Is anybody? Okay, who will catch it for her? Okay, to the guy behind you. He's going to catch it, all right? Can you get it, buddy? Okay, close enough. My heart is free of coveting right there. I've been set free. Now, I don't know what it is that held you back or something you wanted in your life that you loved more than you should have, but I know this. It might have been yourself. But I know this, that whatever our sin is, here's what it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what I want us to know as we look at these things, some of them very serious today. The same way he forgives a little guy who does wrong. The same way he loves me and wants to bring me out is the same way he loves us all no matter what age we are. He cares about you. He loves you. He offers grace. He's just showing you the way to protect you and to bless you. And no matter how bad it is, no matter what you've done, he will forgive you if you have a heart to ask him to. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for us. Why did God send Jesus to die on a cross? Because God is so altogether holy, he cannot cohabitate with sin. And that's a dilemma, right? Because here's the deal. We sinned, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We sinned against a holy God and now he can't even dwell with us because we cherish sin in our hearts. Sin must be punished. God's so altogether holy and so just. He's full of justice that sin must be punished. And in a supreme act of love, God the Father sent Jesus the Son to die on a cross. And the wrath of God against sin, the justice of God against the sinner, fell on Jesus that day. His wrath was poured out on his own Son in a supreme act of love so that his wrath would not be poured out on us. That's why I love Jesus so much because I'm a sinner forgiven by grace. That's why I preach today, because I want people to know about the grace of God that sets them free. And he comes to you today. It's not the Jesus that was killed on the cross. It's the Jesus that was resurrected from the cross. It's the Jesus that sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me, saying, Father, forgive them. Remember, I paid the price, and we are forgiven. And here's all we have to do. We have to humbly come to him, and say, Father, I've sinned. Please forgive me in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus was shed on that cross so that our sins might be wiped out and we're forgiven. And the grace and the mercy of God is applied to our lives. That's what he has for all of us who sin. That's what he has for you. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior, but today we don't come condemning because we've all sinned. We come telling you of a mighty God who's forgiven, and he forgives everyone 